Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This week's This Life with Dr. Bob Forrest is courtesy of Bergamot Sport, an all-natural athletic performance enhancing and muscle recovery supplement with the usual multiple cardiovascular benefits associated with the polyphenols in the Bergamot products. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Forrest and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gather around the iPhone for another adventure of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. You feel pretty good today, Bob. You all right? Everything good? <laughs> I a feel plated? great. All right, I feel great. I saw a little negative stuff on your Facebook post. No, no, no. When kids die, I get bummed out. Uh, imagine but, that. You know. <laughs> uh, remind everyone that we are brought to you courtesy of Bergamot, Bergamot Sport now. We'll tell you about that. Uh, the First Lady of Love, Miss Susan Pinsky, is on Bergamot now. It's had a very nice response. That's very right. See, the whole family is in How do you know you have a nice response to it? Because I uh, want to get on it. I'm done with Harvoni treatment, so I can get on it now. Yeah, yeah. You would be good. Be good I want to get on it. And uh, I'll notice yeah, how much of his placebo effect. No, no, it's it's actually a it's an it's like like a weak HMG coa reductase inhibitor. Remember you want to get a mic was, and tell us? Me, remember when I was on Harvoni, you told me you were manic. On Harvoni, <laughs> that was a different thing. But go ahead, Susan. <laughs> Hopefully what that will happen on this. Yeah, plus her blood Not pressure that it went down. To. Bergamot will do, and it. it had some. You took in the female one, the fat yeah, one. Yeah, I'm I'm taking the one that has. A testosterone enhancer. So I might at, need that. So I had less hot flashes this month. Yeah. I mean, it, it prolonged my my replacement. Uh, hormone replacement Your, yeah. therapy. Yeah, so it was good. good. It worked. Excellent. I want it. I want it. All right. Let's talk about National Assessment Foundation. Okay. The National Assessment Foundation. Let me give the phone number first. It's 888-494-9186. Tell everybody what it is. It's a place you can call when you have no hope and nowhere to go. And whether you have insurance or not insurance, it's the National Assessment Foundation. It um, delivers hope. Offering support, education, direction, and connecting individuals with their resources. Because most people, Drew, don't even know where they can go, right? Yeah. They don't even know. And what you do, Here's the newest thing I learned from NAF, the What's people that? that work there. Do you know that when I used to always tell people, just call the back of your insurance card. They'll tell you where you can go to treatment, right? Right, right. Do you know that they send you to the cheapest treatment? Of course. I didn't know that. Why didn't you tell me that? I've well, been telling uh, people that for decades. Well, it, they, it's, <laughs> listen, it, it's it's not just it's what is covered, and what is covered is usually not. not but you're entitled to a lot more benefits. The insurance company is not going to tell you. That's very often the case. But okay. tell what's the National Assessment Foundation? So the National Assessment Foundation is a one eight hundred number, a call center, eight 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 number. Yeah, an eight 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 number. You can call. 
and they'll engage the addicts and tell them about resources in their community if they don't have insurance. Now, that's the reason we dig these guys. Yeah. Because they, they aren't just Because refer- most people don't have good insurance. Right. So it's not just people getting referrals to good programs with insurance. It's they're, they're, and following up and making sure they get into those programs, which is we like that, number one. Yeah. And then number two, people that don't have insurance, they will make sure those people find something like Salvation Army yeah. or something where, and follow again, follow them until they do what they need to do. And keep pushing and keep being a, a, you know, a connection that they have in the in this cesspool of a world of recovery. Nice. Right? Yes. It's true. But and and you've also talked to the assessors and they're all recovering people in high Yeah, one of assessors. them's a old client of mine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, we can sign off. 888-494-9186. We appreciate what these guys do and we can uh, support them. And we appreciate them and uh, Bergamot being supportive of this podcast. And even more so, we're pleased to welcome Battlefield Addiction as our guest of this live podcast today. I've been waiting a week for this. I'm excited. Art Art Dolan, Angie Keedy. We're joined also by Amy Brooks. Uh, And, oh, this was all in response to something awful. So tell us about this, guys. Welcome. What do you want to Tell us about the family first approach. Uh, Well, first about the epidemic in Seattle. I mean, that's really where it all begins at ground zero, right? Yeah, we got involved in sober living uh, approximately five years ago, Amy and I, and uh, um, we lost our first client uh, on a December December night. We, I came to the, we got to one of the house looking for one of the clients, and uh, um, nobody knew where he was. So I went up in his room, and I actually found a client had overdosed in one of our houses, and uh, I'd never met his family. I'd never understood that side of it, and. Uh, <clears throat> His parents came over that night, and uh, how heavy is that? Mm, mm, been there many times, and and that's when I met him above, standing above a, a gentleman named Blake's uh, body bag, and uh, that's where I vowed to myself that I can't really do anything until we have the family involved, and it wasn't like a little bit; it's like everything. So for us, we determined that. We weren't going to move forward with people unless unless it was impossible. We were going to have their family involved. So, you know, that started uh, years ago, but it didn't really kick off until we met until I met Angie and took her kid in. And talk to us about that. Well, I can share about that. Um, when I met Art three years ago, he took my son in about one o'clock in the morning, and my son wasn't ready for help at the time. Um, he really was looking for a cold, or I'm sorry, Three a, warm, a, a warm, dry place to sleep for mm-hmm. the night. Mm-hmm. Um, meeting Art that night really gave me two things. Number one, it gave my son a lighthouse, somewhere to go when he really was ready for help. So the next time he came, it was maybe for a couple days. Then the next time it was for a week and then longer, longer. But more importantly, really what it, it gave to me was a coach in this process. I had already been in this battle with my son for about six, about six years at that point. Wow. Were you going to Al-Anon? Um, I did go to a few meetings. But you don't have a sponsor or we're going to program or anything? No, not me personally, no. Uh, we went to several treatment centers, several counselors uh, for years, and I was just lost. For the first time, I found somebody to tell me exactly what to do. Things like, Mom, take your power back. Mom, he's lying to you. Mom, this is what you need to do. And um, I started doing what he told me to do. The hard part for the moms is, was, we've talked to her for many years, is that every addict, uh, the disease invokes in every mom the fantasy that if the mom doesn't continue to intervene... They'll and, die. They'll die, slash enable. They, the child will die. That's the fantasy that the disease always evokes in the mind of the mom. 
Right. Like this kid's going to die if I don't. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta save. I gotta save. And the disease, of course, takes and full slowly, advantage of that. And slowly, slowly, with the change in our culture, I find that the dads more have that these days. Really, it's crazy. Wow. Right. The moms are uh, the moms I've been dealing with the last two or three or four years are pretty uh, uh, know what's going on. Right and know that the kids lying to them. The dads believe the lies. Is that because the da- is that because the dads have a fantasy about returning to a you know full thriving life instantly, or is well, that they because all they have that belief? <laughs> <laughs> or is it because dad has not been really participating in the treatment? I think not- yeah, because the dads were absent, maybe out making well, money, and this is a way of relieving their guilt in this modern. Well, but men, women are just about as likely to be out there earning money too, or maybe do- doubling down and earning money and having to deal with the family but see let's talk about that too because work both parents are working right yeah but moms are still involved in the children's upbringing and raising but dads aren't right okay dads get to opt out because oh you know isn't that kind of what's going on up there well i mean i think for me it was completely different uh for me i was in a space of thinking i was doing the right thing by letting him just wait for him to hit bottom um we were just at our wits end so i was well we've done everything we can do and I didn't know what to do. So I was in that space. Yeah. Angie, when I met Angie, she'd actually, well, there was no enabling really, uh, to be found in her family uh, with exception of some of the uncles and some of of his uncles and other family members. So he was just a, a street, a kid that could make it on the streets. And, yeah. and so we had to take a different approach with him and actually find, I mean, we actually, there was times where we had to go out on the streets and actually find Devin and bring him home. It wasn't, it wasn't anybody, you know, and they were just—they were done with it. They were ready to have a solution. Her and her husband Tim, they so, were ready for it. So why why is that? Because I know the Portland area more. I know it's in Seattle too. There's the Railer kids, and I try to talk to them at at my friend's place in Hollywood. They all kind of ride the rails. They hitchhike. They get around, and they seem to function at that low level, street level of society. What's wrong with that? Just let them do that. <laughs> I I don't understand. I really don't understand. We used I've, to do. I've I lived there for years. Yeah. Why is it that, and my family was able to disconnect completely, trust me. So you're saying that's a good thing? You're saying I'm why? saying that how are you going to change them? Well, Treatment's not going to change them. Well, that's what I learned through art, is yeah. I learned that there's actually something that I can do, and I need to, or I'm going to lose him. And so, Mom, there is some power. Take your power back. There are action steps to take, and thank God I listened. Do you have Be- guidelines? Right. Um. Well, I, every case is totally different. I mean, we find we don't find uh, any any case the same. And he asked why you don't do that, and I think that's the simple reason is is because it's it's the stakes have been raised to a level where I've went to too many funerals. I'm just kind of tired of it, and we get too many too many parents that are just that think they're hopeless, and we have too many miracles. We don't. Um, we are finding extreme. Uh, uh, situations that parents come to us seven years their kids on the street six years five years or whatever and they're hopeless and with a few strategies that we apply uh but then who takes credit for the success see i think it's very dangerous for the treatment professionals to take responsibility for the success i think it might have happened naturally anyways without any involvement right. from you i've seen that hundreds of times mm-hmm. there are there there is a pathway to freedom that 
parents, they're adults. They're 26 and 24 and 22 years old. And we're still treating them like they're 13 and 14. That's what I don't like about the whole system of it. I think you you're really expecting gotta... if I do something or say something or withhold something or withhold something, I will get the outcome I want. And that's a very dangerous thing because you might follow somebody's direction and your kid might die. And then what? Um, Do you know I, what I mean? I, I don't know if, if, if necessarily um, we're, we're dealing with the same type of addict. I mean, um, these heroin epidemic addicts. The fentanyl the, and yeah, that. the heroin epidemic addicts that we're dealing with. up in, And I, when I speak, I'm mainly every time I speak, I'm speaking of the 18 to 26-year-old heroin addict that, that is fully seems to be a victim of this opiate epidemic and the, the fire hose of opiates that have been put on the community. And I don't. And I, and it's not. I, I'm finding. I'm talking to you about not not the addict like me. I'm talking about an addict like this kid was in the band. This kid was like, uh, you know, just a normal high school band kid that I wouldn't have seen an addict when I was in high school with. I, I think there's a direct distinction between these types of addicts. Her son was an old school addict, and and you know, of course, you're going to find out later we lost her son. But mm-hmm. um, sure. you know, her son was an old school addict that that just could could function and manage a habit and make his way and and i know what you're talking about by that kind of letting life uh teach these kids lessons and i get because i don't know where they're going to get the hope i deal with millennials primarily yeah hundreds of them every week they don't have any hope that the reason why they don't have any hope is because adults are telling them this country sucks this world sucks Mm -hmm. everything sucks social media reinforces that division and hatred of one another and that there's I was talking with a millennial, Johnny right here works with me. He doesn't think life sucks. He's not brainwashed by society and media that there's no hope. But, he, but I bet he went through periods where he, you wonder because <laughs> the echo chamber is so negative. The nego- yeah. So when I meet with these kids, they really believe they're not going to ever have a life worth living. Mm-hmm. And that's why opiates fit them so well uh, uh-huh. because they have no hope. That yeah. that is a typical millennial. If you're talking about your son was an older, atypical junkie addict, that's sad because most of those people I, in my experience, get sober. Did he did he go on replacement at any time? Just out of curiosity, like Suboxone or Methadone or anything? No. Did he? You sure? Because <laughs> um, most of them find their way to that at some point. Uh, no, he never did. On uh, this last round, he went to uh, detox for seven days, and then he was going to get the Vivitrol shot. Mm. Um, but he never did, and he was gone twenty-eight days later. That's so sad. But I, I think Bob, there's a much more organic thing that we're doing in a dismantling of their addiction, where it's not doing something or say something. It's just a complete dismantle and making sure that the family has no part in it. And mm-hmm. then, and then after that, after we've made sure that the family all across the board has, and we don't have any holes, and we know for sure that the family is doing the right thing, and they don't have any part in enabling the addiction or or, or letting them do it, that's where we're getting a family to. Now there's now that now when we face that, we fa- we we find out whether the kid is going to take it further or not, and and this organic thing seems to be happening where a lot of the kids that we get we're absolutely ready for it to be over. And, you know, we have moms that just get them out of these trap house or whatever they get them. And, and the kids were totally ready for it to be over. I, I'm a little confused. So do you coach the families before you get the identified patient? They have weekly Absolutely. groups. No, no, before. Absolutely. Before you get the patient. Absolutely. Most of our clients, yeah. in fact, all of our clients ha- happens through a process of meeting the family. And we're not in it. And, and you I, do groups with family or individual sessions with them? We, we do what's called a consultation. And, and the, the families come to our open groups on a Thursday night. Right. 
they hear that there's things that can be done. These are didactic sort of psychoeducation lectures. It's just like a 20 minute talk. I open up the meeting with some sort of a lesson about addiction, about what I've learned by treating addicts. And then we do an open share and families start like just like IOP for families. Is basically exactly they start what it supporting is. each other, and, and they start going to back channels and supporting each other and reaching out with each other. And but it's but we do not allow for problem focused thinking. We do not allow for everybody to sit around and talk about the problem. We get right on to well, this is the next step, which is what depends on the case. Depends on the case. I mean, it's, it could be as easy as he's in your basement shooting heroin. You need to go tell him to go to treatment or. Or he's got to go. It could be that, or it could be you know a lot of things where father is checked out. You asked about the father, and a lot of times the father's checked out, and it's a little girl that wants her attention from her dad, and and so we 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 move the mom out and pull the father in. I mean, there's tons of things that we do, um, and all of it seems to. And so most of our clients then, you know, I see regular interventions, and I see how the, I see how that's done. But what the problem with that is is that this stuff and this behavior can go on after treatment that's still going to spark the addiction again. This doesn't sound anything different than what we've done for many, many years. I know, I. but... but Is it is there a difference? It's because of the desperation, I think, and you're not the only parents, clinicians, groups are popping up all across the United States. It's in reaction to this death rate. So many mothers have lost their children. It's unbelievable. It's yeah, but 60,000. They're all, they, they're, but they're not dying. Mine don't die of the heroin. They die of the pills that the doctor gives them after they've been off the heroin for a little while. Oh, wow. Now That's it's a almost fentanyl. without exception. Now it's a you fentanyl. That too? Well, I talked to a kid, Drew, you'll love this. I talked to a kid who OD'd up fentanyl a couple weeks ago. I hate to laugh. I'm sorry I laugh. It's black humor. But So I asked him, like, dude, what are you fucking thinking? And he goes, well, they only cost five bucks, so I figured they couldn't be that good. <laughs> like, Perfect. when you got that kind of thinking, like, you hear about Chinese fentanyl being pumped onto the American streets. It's... It's really fentanyl, and the but, kids don't believe yeah. it, and By they're the way, cutting the col- heroin with fentanyl. I had a colonoscopy, and they gave me fentanyl. I'm very sensitive. To <laughs> I was sick for three a week. I was really sick for three days afterwards. It, Dr. Drew was on fentanyl. I, I hate that shit. I was like, I, but, but they're buying it for $5, Drew. Yeah, I know. It's very, very cheap, very, very powerful. I don't understand why the word's not out, because usually, you know. Because nobody's getting the addicts word are, out. Addicts are pretty good pharmacists, usually. That's an, that's another thing, but I think that hope, I don't know, because I know what your main thing, I see the other side of what you're doing mm-hmm. with aloe and everything. It's they get hope. They they don't have hope, Drew. There's a lack who, of hope. Who? The, pa- the, the, family. the The millennials. I don't really care. But the family care. are hopeless, the, too. No, the, the families get the more hope from our program. Yeah. I, you know, and they, that that's where it comes. But, but how you, do you, but work you have to want, you have to believe that you could have a life in order to want to be sober. And I believe millennials don't believe that there is a better we've, life. We've, out we've been there. over this many, many times, you and I, and it's it's. I know you vividly experience that on a regular basis. I, I want to mine where they're at with it, but let's go through. I, yeah, I, Let I, Angie I would, answer on that. I I, I would say um, what our parents get is power. Yeah, it's not and, about and, hope. And so, I don't so, think yeah. we're spreading hope. What no, we're I'm doing, talking about the kids need hope. Yeah. I'm more considered concerned. Bob with the always kids. wants to talk about that. And we work. I want to hear more about the family. We're stuff. done with the addicts. <laughs> <laughs> we we, you know, we work very hard with family stuff too, but we were at a hospital, so there was an identified patient, yeah, yeah. and families would and would not participate. You know, yeah. it's hard to get them in. How, how do you first of all enroll and retain your families? Because families, I, I have literally had families come up to my nose and go, you know, this is not my problem. He's sick, and yeah. not me. And it's like, oh boy, we don't get that anymore. Angie, yeah. listen, Angie is great. I'll let her talk, but she's. 
Angie is fantastic about this, requiring it, and with but, her but story. But where do you find the families? I mean, they come looking for help they for somebody, mm-hmm. and you go, why don't you come into to a group? Just invite them in? Mm-hmm. Or do you tell them, hey, there's this is a family? It's story. word of mouth. To, you start they just come. Them. They come from they other come, families. They come, and we work through the family. That's okay. our angle. We and if, and so if you, the family's on drugs, what do you do? What if the mom's taking benzos? What do you do? We, we discuss really. that with her. I mean, a lot of it is is we, we tell the families all the time, and in a, in a consultation, we ask and dig deep into the family's bad behavior. I mean, we don't, we can't, you cannot change your because kids the addict the, will go for the weak link yes. and what he's saying. The point out, my mom's loaded all the time. So what do I nobody, always ask, Ange? I always is ask. Is there anything I don't know? And and what do they have on? <laughs> I ask them all the time. What do they got on you? Mm-hmm. I ask them all the time. What, what else? They, what else? What else do they have on you? <laughs> what about sexual what abuse? That what too. about sexual that abuse? Too. Wow. All of it. All of it. You're getting down to it. Yeah. You don't ask about See, that? But, Bob, it's not our... Not the parents directly. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to do it. Yeah. It's not our... It's not our... When belief. they're the abuser? You got to ask. Is what? right? Uh, you got to ask. <laughs> Is there any any abuse? Anything you regret? Yeah. Anything that went... Any, anything you regret? Yeah. Absolutely. A parents can like talk about sexually abusing their kid to you. They're, they're not likely to because they know I'm a qualified re- <laughs> required reporter. Yeah, but uh, I gotta ask. That is ask. down to it. So, if, so you is know, that what you, you do? Know, wait, hold on a second. Mm. How many how many times did you see me evaluate a patient where I had to not just ask, but no, I had to I'm drill about... into you? To, you know, did somebody touch you? Did somebody? Yeah, did they I all have. Their... So, who did it? That's the parent side of things. Uh, maybe they have a different story than the addict does. Uh, listen. You and I had a Mr. Adler, and remember how different his story was in his mom's story. Yeah, it can be. It's very telling. It's very interesting how you know trying to figure out where truth is and who's distorting and what's going on and what the stakes are. And so, mm-hmm. what do you do if you have mental illness in the family that comes out? Just get them treatment, or well, I, I'm, we you know our, our most of our clients uh, across the board we're dealing with this garden a lot of garden variety. I mean, we do get mental illness. I, I've never. I don't think we've ever had a. Like a mentally ill father or mother that we've been able to identify as the problem right away. Or yeah, anything. see, we deal with sicker folk, you and yeah. I. Okay. I we mean, don't we're, excavate. We're, we're, we yeah, don't excavate that stuff. Yeah. We we work on the next right move. We teach families how to take their power back and what action steps to take to push that out. So, of how the does a mom take their power back? Give me, like, if I'm a, okay, I'm a dad. I have a thirty year old, right? So. What am what do you direct me to do if I'm paying a cell phone bill, for instance? Well, it really depends on the entire situation. So what we do is we work through the family. The best way we can help a family is through a private consultation. When we do a private consultation with a family, we get the entire playing field out on the table. Financial, dependence. Every, everything. All the important. leveraging points, right? Yes, exactly. <coughs> Sexual abuse well, history. We haven't really got that deep into that. With All people. addicts have been sexually abused. Or physically. We get, we or physically it. or both. Well, they, a lot of times the mother will come with their guilt. We ask them what do they feel guilty for? What, it, what is the kid going to use? What is the chink in your armor? All that. I mean, it, it, you know, we try to get down to all that. And if they, if they don't tell us, then the kid starts using it. We see that that's why the plan's not working. It's because he, might, he might not even overtly use it, but it's there. And they don't trust us because we're aligned with the parents who have not protected the kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been in that situation mm-hmm. more than once, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. And Drew's probably best at getting the mom. It's true, getting the mom, Stephen's mom, different moms in a room interfacing with the kid sure. so that, that there's this attachment that's formed. That's what I'm into. The, the addict has to trust somebody. And I don't, I don't know how 
you can be family focused and then establishing trust with the addicts. We oh, right? that's a great question. That's you, the hard that's thing. That's tough, but, but by the way, but if you have the family as a sort of therapeutic force, Tool. force yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, then they... They don't have to but trust you. But that's just mind-bogglingly yeah. time-consuming. It's difficult. But <laughs> go ahead. How do you establish a trust when you're aligned with the family? Well, that's the first thing. I mean, that's the major reason that I don't even really um, engage in an intervention with an addict. Because most of the addicts that I work with, they don't meet me until further down the road when they've already come through this, this maybe this two-week or three-week period of... I hate you for sending me here and you shouldn't have done this. Yeah. And they're, they're through all that. And then I meet them and they're almost ready to thank me. And that's when they get the addicts coming to me and go, thank you for helping my mother and father get me, get me here. And then that's when I can begin to work with that. So it's not a, it's not a case where I'm his enemy, where his addiction is still encompassing him, you know, where it's like yeah. still in there and he's mad because he doesn't want it to be away. This is when the addiction is left and he's getting that moment of clarity, and, and that's how. Now, I know how people listen and learn from these kinds of uh, conversations. We're going to have to get specific. You're going to have to either give a an example that you feel comfortable sharing or some very specific sort of paint up an imaginary scenario. You have mom. That's why Bob was just trying to get you to do, which is I'm a dad. I have to, Give us some real specific things you have seen work. From that other moms other and dads moms can and, practice that listen to the podcast. Okay, well, I mean, I can give you our last consultation. Just but not, don't do because that's too close to identifying. No, I won't name a name, I, but, but yeah, still you're, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, I think you had a had, recent consultation. We had a recent consultation, and the the, the kid was uh, in the parent in the house. Uh, um, and, and remember, wh- whomever you're talking about should not be able to identify themselves right. by this story. So you right. have to, you're going to have to. So we can okay. we could be more general. I know we what they talk about. So yeah, parents, we, have, we have so many nowadays. Nowadays, parents but pay their kids' cell phone bills so they feel like they can get a hold of them. Right? That's that's what, a fact. Yeah. I always say, if you're paying their cell phone bill, you're buying them drugs because whatever money they're supposed to be saving to have a cell phone, they spend on drugs because you're going to pay their cell phone for worry of getting a hold of them. What was the last thing we heard where they were giving money from the government or something and buying drugs? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. food stamps? That was an outpatient program was bringing people down to get food stamps and then they were turning around and selling the food stamps. We're in in a fight with that anyways, too. Um, But you know what I'm saying? So I always say the economics is your real power. Well, it's one source of power. But you got to look at the case. I mean, if it's a... If we're talking about a 22-year-old girl that's that's prostituting herself in a hotel room <laughs> and this mother is hopeless and hasn't contacted the girl in two years and the girl is just doing her thing and a $50 cell phone bill does not equal not drugs get, to this girl. Yeah, yeah. And so now we can only, we have to keep that cell phone on just so we have a line of communication mm-hmm. and so that we can work from someplace. And so it's it, it differs in every case. Every but, case is yeah. Well, Angie, give us an example of what you mean by bring, take the power back for the pet mom you can talk about yourself or something you've seen how do moms get their power back um myself or another case um well for me um you know as i said when i met art he started coaching me on the phone and telling me what to do what do you do um find him give me an example so Uh, don't be hopeless mm -hmm. be proactive get out there find him bring him home okay and um God, I don't even remember. Well, with Devin, <laughs> it was with Devin. We were always on the cusp of losing him. He was into the auto hospital. He was ODN. He mm-hmm. was he was falling out in his car. It was close. It was it was we, it was scary. It was always scary. And so 
<clears throat> we would, you know, I mean, I had her call and, and call in a warrant, and, and he went to jail, arrested. and we got him arrested. And, and okay, she well, said, to me, that you know, that's my big move. That's, yeah. that's what Drew always yeah. loves that's talking about. Because yeah. that saves lives. Yeah. And, and, and you couldn't have done that without uh, coaching? She didn't too. think it was right. She thought that the Devin would never trust her again. Right. right. That's, He's never, never, that's, that's, that's the fantasy that the yes. disease yeah. indoctrinates in every mind. And we got a mom right now, or we got a family right now, where, or, or there's all types of families where the kid holds them hostage through... Uh, I'm going to kill myself. Right. And Which this is, is a big one. And, and to tell that family, you just tell them, listen, <clears throat> until your fear is lower than the fear, you know, until that ratio is down right now, his that fear level we have of him committing suicide is so high that he's got us hostage. And only when our fear diminishes in that area and outweighs, you know, is we win that that fight and until mm-hmm. until if you're scared of that we're always his addiction is always going to win and he was able to maintain the house and stay in the house and and he's going to be there forever using drugs because if he kicks him out he's going to commit suicide this is that this is the kid that dies in the bedroom that we always talk about. yeah and that's what we told her and and so giving her the power to see that hey you're the one killing him well so bob went on a big rant today on his facebook page about people that die of addiction so you're in this, this to don't die. Yes, yeah, so, I'm trying to start a don't die movement. Yeah, and so wh- what what do you imagine there, and how does this dovetail into that? The treatment industry is geared towards Minnesota model to treat people like you and me. We're supposed to go to Hazelden, right? Treatment model treatment modality hasn't changed because seventy percent of the population is eighteen to twenty six, right? And these kids don't even know how to use drugs. They don't. They They mix drugs. I've been talking about with all drug addicts, if you watch that feed all the way through, there's an indoctrination amongst drug addicts of what is safe and what is unsafe, and that's not being practiced anymore. It really isn't. And that needs to come back because these kids don't even know how dangerous fentanyl is. Because we've been lying to them, telling them marijuana is as dangerous as as fentanyl. Mm -hmm. And they they don't believe anything that comes out of any of our mouths. (laughs) They don't. And somebody needs to tell them, listen, there's pot and then there's fentanyl. It's a fucking deadly disease, a deadly drug that I don't know whether you have the disease or not, but anybody can die of fentanyl. You take two of them. Mm. Right, that that the fentanyl thing, Drew. It's amazing. Forty six kids in New Jersey died in one weekend. Forty six kids. It, how are they using it? Sublingually? Or, or well, I've been hearing about them shooting it now. Yeah, they're shooting. Well, they've always shot it. Transdermal That's shooting. Crazy. Put take the packets, suck on them. Right. So I'm ways. more interested in how to reduce mm-hmm. the death rate, and I'm I'm I'm, you know, really got bothered by this kind of the reaction of like that whole some have to die so some can live like these are not addicts like you and i art mm-hmm. that, that that rule that everybody can die is for real addicts yeah. well but not I, here, 18 year old kids thinking fentanyl that they bought at high school so here's the dovetail that i'm i'm hearing which is that that the current treatment structure Needs to modernize. Doesn't right. Doesn't doesn't work. Needs to be longer. Needs, needs to be a year long. Well, we've it needs to have that. life skills, job training, right. those things. We've, we've begun to look. Well, at. the insurance but, industry dictates treatment, and they're not going to pay for yeah, that. Don't even. <laughs> but but what Art and Angie are saying is that there's another piece of this too. As long as these kids have progressed in a certain direction, the families also have gone in a certain way and need a lot more 
very well, specific kinds yeah, of Yeah, I take it further. I mean, I, I get Bob. Bob seems to come from the perspective of the addict, and, and I get that. I think from what I've done in sober housing, what me and Amy have done in sober housing, is we have learned to become the parents of addicts. And when I learned to become the parents addict, I really started taking a different perspective on on what it feels like to sit and do nothing. And it sucks. And mm-hmm. and it isn't I can say to anybody, Oh yeah, don't just let your kid go figure it out. But when my dog is missing for twenty minutes, I go nuts and I want to find my dog. And I can't even imagine then what that must feel like for a parent to have a nineteen year old kid just gone and and then to try to sleep every night. And so we really take the perspective and I'm not a I'm I don't know about LA. I don't know about down here. I yeah. know about up there and up where up we're there at, is Seattle and the Great Northwest. Up there in South King, in King County, in Seattle, and I'm not even talking about the street kids in Seattle. I'm talking about the upper middle class kids that found the pills and the heroin in high school and were headed on one trajectory of life, and now are on a totally different one that doesn't seem to me they were ever headed for. It seems to me they were headed for college. He's saying the same thing I've been saying for years. There, I wanted to be a drug addict from the time I was 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these, these kids had no intention no. of it, Drew. No, yeah. I know. And they're not sophisticated about it. Yeah. They're not interested they're in knowing about it. They're just doing what the next kid it. says. And so when we, when we take that perspective, I'm Then not they get thrown into treatment and treated like they're real addicts. Oh, yeah, like they need to see a clinician or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not a, no, for, for us, it's not like the family is part of the problem or it's a minor family disease. For us, we, th- we really take the position that the family's the whole problem. Not... Not even like, I think the kids are more like clay. Like, as long as you have the family doing exactly what needs to be done to make sure they're not, the, they're doing their own work and they're recovering from it and making sure that's all happening, the kids are like clay. You can work with them because you get the kid to have no options. Well, I mean, you should know that in mental health services, they look at an adolescent not as the patient ever. Oh, I, when I say kids, I always mean eighteen, twenty-six. But they yeah. have these oh, yeah, addicts yeah, yeah. have delayed. Right, they, they get right. arrested in adolescence. So the rule is the patient is the patient family. Yeah, that's always been that way. Yeah, identifiable patient. The, the identified patient is not what you're treating. You're treating the patient family complex. It's beautiful, and it's just that's just and an usually, axiom in mental and health. And the standard way that we did it for fifteen years was empower the addict with sobriety. Mm-hmm. And the whole dynamic of the family will change. They'll have to put somebody in the chair of the identifiable patient for the family system to continue to be dysfunctional. But these aren't those families. Well, right, that's what I was going to say. That's we, what we, I'm we, saying. Yeah, we dealt with very different kinds of things. See, so. when my son was going through his troubles, he was 17, and I had to disconnect and say, he's got the solid fundamentals of what life is about. And I'm only making things way worse. And I disconnected, and he's he had his trials and errors and i helped uh, helped here and there Mm. but for the most part he's never lived back in my home for 13 years he's he's never been financially dependent on me on a monthly basis he's made his way for in in his way in the world and i do believe it was i had those second thoughts like am i is he gonna die because I'm doing tough love. That's why the tough love, I was on the phone with well, the lady. Well, let's do this. Let, let's do this. Let, let's specifically talk about our concepts about tough love. I think well, they told me to take his computer stuff. out of his room. I said, you have to have a computer to do school. Yeah. And they said, well, this, what has he done to earn a computer? I was like, he's fucking 16 years old in 21st <laughs> century America. <Yeah. laughs> like, you know, and so, you know, that 
tough love as was identified traditionally right, well, well, in America. Let's get, uh, remind people to go to battlefieldaddiction.com, Battlefield Addiction. We'll have it up on the website as well. This is more practical and less mechanical than tough love. Yeah. This is practicality, individual cases, well, it's kind of what start, to do, it's sort what of to like do. like family coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, is that what it is? It's exactly. Yeah. Well, but he's only one guy, just like... <laughs> no, I know. It's hard. But uh, let's take a little break. Be right back. You know, I'm always happy to talk to you about our friends at Bergamot. They're the makers of a variety of supplements that use the extract from the Bergamot citrus fruit, those polyphenols. That fruit is in Italy. These supplements act as a natural statin that may improve a number of cardiovascular conditions as well as symptoms of the metabolic syndrome, which includes high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar. As you know, I've been excited about the natural treatment since I first heard about it. I'm getting behind it. The science behind it is sound, and physicians throughout the world and cardiologists are actually using it. Now, the makers that brought to the formulation Bergamet NA, Bergamet Pro Plus, now bringing you Bergamet Sport. It provides all the same cardiovascular benefits, but has additional additives designed to aid athletes and those with a very, very active lifestyle. Bergamet Sport may help improve stamina and reduce recovery time and reduce muscle inflammation. Now, I've been taking Bergamet myself, and I suggest you talk to your physician to see if Bergamet Sport is right for you. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 10% on their order by entering the code Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W, at checkout. Again, that is D-R-D-R-E-W, all one word, at checkout, and you save 10% on your order of Bergamot. To order the Bergamot Sport for yourself, visit Bergamot.com, Bergamot, N-A, Bergamot, B-E-R-G-A-M-E-T.com, or click on the Bergamot banner on drdrew.com. Hey, we're back, so let's we're do back. Let's do this tough love conversation we're having. Which is, so they told me to take my son's computer out of no, his no, room. No, hold on. Take hold his on. TV out of his room. Listen, what, what you do is not as important as how you do it. They were very focused on it, what you do. Yeah. What, what do you think? Um, I, I think that addiction, all this, what's happened, at least, and, and I, I don't know about the rest of the country. I don't get this. I don't have the perspective. But for the perspective of what we said, the total problem is, is that, it, that each family has become untruthful and disconnected. Okay. In every, you know, the mom swallowing the lie, the father swallowing the lie, the father going over here, the kid going out, coming home with but the. But that's re- all American family. Sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> but this well, is, addicts is, really good at it. But and so to to reconcile that, it's truth and presence, and that's okay, what so, we so do. Rigorous honesty. So everybody. But to be truthful and present with each other, and then you say tough love, tough. Well, that's just boundaries. Right. And then, and but you can't have a boundary and lead somebody away from the boundary if they don't trust you by being with them when they're not by the boundary. So it's important that a dad is with their kid when it, in the good times to be present with them, to sit, to have dinner. So when the kid does reach out to the boundary and get close to it, he can just How give a How do you look. stop the shaming from happening? Because I know where you're at right there. I don't know if everybody's following. But I can get a kid to three or four months having dinner with the parents and all of a sudden, the fucking it just goes up in smoke. Oh, that's easy. It's fucking crazy. You tell them. You tell them exactly what the parents exactly what to say. No, no. You tell them exactly. You teach a parent through what we do. You teach a parent that because a kid uses drugs, that's just a strategy for his to change the current moment. So the kids just, and then you teach the parents that they do the same thing, and then you show the parents that they do the same thing, and then they're no different than their kid. They they use something else. 
And if you let them know and get them to a point of compassion that they see they're the same as their kid. They're doing something else. You eat, you watch too much TV, you workaholic or whatever the you're doing. The kid says this to the parents? I'm saying it to the parents. Oh, oh. And by the time <laughs> me and Angie get done teaching these parents and taking them through the, this, these solution meetings every Thursday night where we talk about this stuff and we say, how are you alike, your addict? What is the same things you do with them? And they get to a point of compassion and understanding with addiction that they don't think it's some weird thing that their kid has. They think that it's just something that they do in a different way. And then, then there's no shame to that because it's just, that's what it is. And I will add that, thank God, I learned this three years ago because mm-hmm. at that time I was in the tough love mentality. I thought I was doing it right with the tough love. How did you do I, that? How did you? How did I do tough love? Yeah. I just waited for him to call and right. he never and, but, did. But I, well, when you, when you did this, Detached from him. Did you tell him? I, he couldn't come to my house. But did you tell him? Yes. And what? How did you tell him? Um, you have to leave. You're you know, no, he was on the no. streets Were when he angry? would call. Yes. Okay. When That's would- not tough love. Tough love has to be with deep compassion and love. Deep compassion. It kills me. I love you, but my keeping you here is going to kill you. Well, I think so. so. You must leave. Okay. And that breaks my heart. I love you so much that I'm willing to go through the pain of doing this and I have a support support group now. over here that's exactly and, what she learned yeah. that's what he taught me yeah. so my because doing with angry yeah. is just traumatic see how strangely just, we both were tough love coached and it wasn't it wasn't what you're describing I know uh, mine that's was people details get it, people get like it so wrong people get it so deeply wrong well, they do it out of anger and resentment yeah. and desperation and fury and blah blah blah, blah. everything about them it's not about the parent. How could you do this to me? Yes. It's yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in pain. I'm, I don't give a shit what you're in. Yeah. You love this person. You have to do this to save their life. And it, and it starts with teaching them about addiction, though, and teaching them why it's just a simple strategy to for, that they're applying. Not something they, It's not a problem I had. It's a strategy I used. And and if you can let them know, it's just a strategy you're using right now. And, and, and teach them through our workshops, through everything we teach. By the time they get an understanding of addiction, they see a, a much more simple view of it. And it doesn't, it's not so personal to them. You know, and that's the main thing is making it not such a personal thing to the family. I like that. Because if they've taken it, it, could, it, but that's where it came from was me doing this. Man, when I opened up Sober Housing, being a recovering addict, me and Amy had the Sober Houses and we're opening up and we're thinking they're getting high in our houses as personal vendetta to us, you know? And so I would be driving at 2 o'clock in the morning to go yell at an addict, you know? How could you do this to me? What are you doing in my house? You know? There you and, go. The evolution yeah, of art right yeah. there. And so I had to get to a point where I understood it, where I, I didn't understand my own addiction. That's the thing. I didn't understand. I thought it was my fault, too, for a long yeah. time, for six months, eight months, a year. It was years before I realized, oh, shoot, I was unconscious. I didn't really even have a choice. Like, I I did what my brain told me to do and I listened and I didn't have a way out of that because nobody gave me another alternative and it got too loud in my brain and the pressure got too hot and I had to use and mm-hmm. so I didn't until I understand my own addiction I couldn't be pas- compassionate about somebody else's you yeah. know I see people recovering addicts all the time that I see in meetings or whatever and I just it always baffles me because they'll come to our solution meeting and they'll have a brother or a sister that's still using and they'll sit with anger and go I just don't understand why he doesn't choose recovery like me well codependency is a often a primary problem in drug addiction yeah but they think that and even them like so I say so you chose recovery and they yeah and I go well did you have any money when you quit getting high and they go no I was out of money I yeah. said, well, how did you choose it then? <laughs> you know, it's like saying I chose to stop because I ran into a wall. 
You know, no. we don't, you didn't you didn't make a choice. You well, know, we, we we would amuse ourselves with, with uh, the reasons that people say they came to treatment. Yeah, and Sasha and I would make sport out of it. We'd, we'd go, "Why are you here today? Oh, I'm sick and tired of being tired. I finally <laughs> came to this." And we're like, "Really? Tell us more. Sick and tired? Sick and tired?" And I was like, "Oh, how about the court document here, where the judge sent you right from court? Did that have anything to do with it? Anything at all?" I'm also sick and tired. There's that the court thing. I didn't have to come. I chose to come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's you know I learned that in cry help you old gangster walked up on me in, in, the, <laughs> in the shower area yeah. and he said, "You know what, Holmes? I'm tired of hearing you bitch and complain about how you have to be here because the courts told you because your court ordered here." <laughs> and I was all scared of him. He's a tough guy, been in prison a lot, and I was like, "But they did." And he goes, "No, the judge gave you a choice: go to jail or go to cry help." <laughs> And I was like, "Yeah, I, t- I totally <laughs> forgot <laughs> that option." By the way, yeah. Yeah. why didn't you why didn't you introduce me to that guy so we could get him into our team? <laughs> it's, like, no. it's probably Danny Trail. <laughs> could have been. It was a guy that yeah. knows him, I'm yeah. sure. So, so that. But as a parent, I'm really interested because I talk to parents all the time, and I don't know what to tell them. And I maybe I'm telling them wrong. I just think that we're talking about 24 and 26 year old and 30 year old grown adults. This society is in making children out of people till they're what age? I know. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But I think that, that that part of the problem is is these these kids is top is no no different than their bottom. I mean we're not we're not, <laughs> like we're, not you know, we're not dealing with a group of kids that had jobs, houses, cars, yeah. checkbooks. That's so, what I always say. The Minnesota model, just so you know, that's Hazelden basically mm. invented it. What it, what drug treatment is, what we do at Allo, it's all, it's everywhere, basically every treatment center. What it's for is grown, full-functioning adults who have lost or is starting to lose the three principles of existence that they love. Their hobbies and interests, their work, and their love and family. And until you have established those... The, it will not work. The Minnesota model will not work for them. They've never achieved anything. Yeah. They That's have dreams problem. of it, though, but usually. But now they don't even have that. They have delusions of it. Some, sometimes delusions. But, but, now, but now he can't even get them to, to say that there's anything they want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Well, right? the kid that died the other day, I had a showdown with him about two months ago. And I said, dude, you're going to die. I'm not just saying that. You cannot use drugs the way you're using them. You'd OD twice at my sober living and, you know, eyes rolling back in the head. And, and he said... I don't care. And I said, every junkie says they don't care, but you do care. And he goes, Bob, I don't really care. Oh, my God. And I I just... So what would you tell that parent if that's the mom? He was 22 years old. If they're really, really kids, really hopeless without... He never had his own apartment. So can I tell you a story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please. So she just... Angie just called me a a year ago, Amy. um, We've been doing this thing together for... uh, um, five years now we got sober six years ago and a year ago amy had a relapse um amy is a meth user and uh her relapse relapse uh <clears throat> culminated in a meth-induced schizophrenia or meth-induced psychosis, psychosis. and um you know after a couple of days back home in the house she had a suicide attempt and um luckily in time i found amy in the garage and we were able to get her down and uh get her off to treatment and here she sits now a year a year later with us and you know at, at that point there was not amy didn't know she thought you know i'd love to let her explain sure, but i thought that you know i'm sure at that point she thought she wanted to die 
you know, I mean, at that point, that's what she thought was. Well, if, you know, if you can put people somewhere for six months, they'll be a lot better. Than, right. But you can't do that. So we had a kid um, that's in uh, another another mother color with her son, and she didn't have hope. She said that you know he wants she she thinks he wants that right now, and we we're able just to tell her the story of Amy and tell her that you know uh, just because the drugs the drugs are telling somebody they want to die. Mm-hmm. You know that's they can't a person doesn't have any. Uh, their brain's gone at that point, you know. And so, let's let Amy to- tell it. Go ahead. Well, so, how just, did you regain uh, hope? Um, right in the hospital that that night in the hospital. Mm-hmm. As soon as I kind of came out of it, I mean, I just was like, I couldn't believe that I was in that moment. I mean, it was just unreal that because I had no, I didn't want to die. There was no way I wanted to die. Was there no a lot way. of shame about being sober and oh, relapsing? Oh, oh yeah. See, I, we got to remove that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. That's no, it was maybe not shame. But I, it sounds like you were a psychotic, you know, though. And I was. In I'd the psychosis, been up for days. Right. In the psychotic uh, state, you sometimes believe you're killing yourself so you don't get harmed by the aliens that are coming or whatever. Or, or no. in, an, in an agitated state, in a manic state, just, just do stuff impulsively. Well, I didn't want to do it no, again. No, but people will beat themselves up. Remember, a friend of ours got eight years and he told me he got sober again he kept trying and trying and screwing up and he said not until i have eight years three months and 17 days will i feel better and i was like dude what are you talking about because he had had eight years four months and 16 days you should feel better about one hour (laughs) and one day but it's something that happens inside the attic brain that's had sobriety yeah but guess what the disease takes advantage of everything Mm-hmm. So it, that's a liability that a recovering person has. So boom, the disease takes advantage of it. But Amy was convinced that that she was hurting people too badly, right? And that, I mean, she, I read the letter, and she was thinking that she was going to be better off. It was going to be better for her son, and, and better for for me yeah, if she perfect. If, if she was gone because she really after a few days of using. Come on. Oh, months? It had been months. I had hidden it. For, so you had hidden it. I had hidden it, for, I hid it from him for a couple of months. And then uh, when it came out, I think I we tried to manage it in-house for a week or two. He went away. He was going away on a vacation down to Pendleton. And he, I mean, I couldn't get him out the door fast enough on Monday morning because I had some work to do. Yeah. And um, <laughs> they were going down to get him by Wednesday. They were having to come back. And, and so I So by the off. time... By the time Art found out about it till when you got sober again, how long was that? Three two weeks? weeks? Two weeks? Yeah, about two See weeks. That? There you go. He believed the first week that I was going to be okay. And mm-hmm. so he went away and his as soon as Thanks he was for gone. being so honest with us. Well, we tried to we tried to get the whole staff and everybody in our staff and everybody around us and our whole team that helps people to help Amy. But how you did know. that feel? Uh, That's so great. Yeah, so we told the whole staff, <laughs> and we told everybody, and we tried to keep it, keep it, you know, because we'd done a relapse before with Amy the, the year prior, and so this time it was like, well, we don't want to do the whole treatment deal again, but you know, inevitably we got her on our plane and got her out of there. Yeah, but you know, I mean, at that point, so whenever I tell a family, whenever a family comes and says their kid doesn't want to live or whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. That's like your kid saying he's going to be whatever. Anytime these kids are talking, they don't know what they're talking about. No, when they're in it. But you're dealing with them months later, months and months later, in the program, doing well, and still... They don't see a lot of opportunities. See, one thing you've got up in the great Northwest is a lot of good job opportunities. We don't have that here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. 
We don't. Yeah. It's service industry jobs, $8 an hour. costs $1,800 to have a one-bedroom apartment. I mean, this is horrible for kids. And the, we import thousands of them every year to come from Illinois, come from Ohio to treatment in L.A. And, of course, anybody that comes here is going to want to stay here, yeah. right? Yeah. But... I'm very much about get back to your community. There's more opportunity in your community probably unless you live in the Rust Belt. <laughs> There's probably more opportunity in your community you came from than there is in Los Angeles for you. Kids mm. don't want to hear that. See, and I hear you say that, and I think we just need to talk to their parents. We need to get their parents <laughs> on board. Yeah. Yeah. I, I tell them what. I tell them what. You're, validate, well, yeah. you're validating no, no jobs. You're validating reasons for them to continue in this. And I say we need to meet their family so we can get everybody on the same team. We can teach their family. It's our. just a narrative. It's just a narrative. I Most mean, of the, what, well, in the case of, I'm talking about thousands of, probably, I, I don't know the numbers, but it's got to be tens of thousands of kids from all over the United States come to Malibu, West Los Angeles, Southern California, Laguna, all in Southern California for treatment, and they don't want to go home. We don't even meet their parents. Their yeah. parents aren't any, anywhere around That's here. That's a problem. And that is a big mm-hmm. problem. But the insurance industry does that, Drew. I don't yeah. know. You're doing it. What are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? What? You're no. not meeting the family. What do you mean the insurance? There's no treatment that? centers. I, I'm telling you. There's. I was in New Orleans, Louisiana. You know how many treatment centers there are there? Three in New Orleans. Yeah. Three. Hmm. That's crazy. So what? There what is the? What is the big picture? What's the? Solution? We should take a hundred of the three thousand we have here and move them to New Orleans. <laughs> so, so how do we? How do we bottle this? What you guys do? How do we spread it? Well, other than we say, because because it would have to model after the twelve step thing. It would have to be. Well, a I was going to say my. You know, whenever I've been involved with families that do Al-Anon well, this is what happens to them. Exactly what you're describing. Yeah. And so there is a program out there that's free and available to everybody, but no one does it. And it's a little it, – you've got to find the right program through mm-hmm. Al-Anon. But if you get the right sponsor and the right group and the right support, exactly what you're describing is what's supposed well, to happen. But somebody has to take the interest like Art does to coach, and they're well, not that's doing what, that. I understand they're that. not doing I that. get that, that. But that's what the sponsor is supposed to do or the no, coffee group or I'm whatever. In, I'm in Al-Anon. I can tell you. It's about you. It's not about your kid. It's about you. It's about what, why you're having these feelings about your spouse or loved one or kid being on drugs or drunk or lying to you or whatever. And the steps are the same as in AA. Do you have a sponsor? Uh, yeah, okay. I did for and, years. And does he sit and meet with you? And yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I think that misses some of the. But it's not. It's it not about my kid or my interactions with with with. So it doesn't patients. help you manage. The it's not kid. what they're talking about. Okay, they're okay. talking about the real practical hour by hour. Okay. What do I do right now? Got it. So it's really. I think. I think it actually starts. Well, that's that's get coaching the kid into treatment. But once you get the kid into treatment, that's when the work starts. And the work, I mean, is is to. To understand that it, just because somebody uses drugs, that's just ambition. I mean, to, to be a drug user just means you have ambition, and it, it, that you're just more ambitious than the person that goes to the mall and maybe buys the shoes to feel differently. I don't see it as any different. And if I can get a family all on board that they're each using their own thing, and then they can have compassion for each other and see that they're all the same. Everybody's using, and and. If you're not using prayer, meditation, some type of practice that you're using, then you're using something with consequences. And just because you smoke cigarettes and you think that's different than your kid using drugs, well, you're going to die just at a later date. 
That doesn't mean anything. And so if you get that common bond that, whoa, we were all untruthful and we all weren't present with each other, and I swallowed your That's lies. That's a breakdown of the identifiable patient system. Is what he, what he I, just I, said I is that. a breaking and, down of that. And so we start with that. Caught that. But unless somebody's overseeing it constantly, it's just going to go back to She's the way right that it was. Go ahead. Well, you guys got to you got to make this grow nationally. It can't just be in Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm trying to, yes. You know what I would say. I you know I I say it all the time. I think rehab has polluted the waters of of Alcoholics Anonymous in Southern California. I think that. It has polluted a lot of psychobabble and therapy has polluted the Al-Anon environment. We need a purification of the systems that are fun and for free rather than new organizations. Purification? A purification. Like, get it back to its, like we say, back to the basics. Yeah, yeah. Rehab needs to be back to the basics, not all this highfalutin nonsense. Back to the basics. AA needs to get back to the basics. You wouldn't believe how much psychobabble you hear in AA these oh, yeah. days. Oh, and it's only because I live here. In, crazy. <laughs> right? I know. Oh, that was 10 years ago. Imagine what it's like now. Yeah, yeah. And it is rehabs. Rehab speak, rehab. It, well, to it, be fair, though, there's been more mental illness. And we're personally illness. responsible for rehab, Drew, so we have to do something. <laughs> there's, there's been more mental illness in the recovering community, though, too, though. It's a That's the other part. Ground. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I'm getting overwhelmed trying to think about all this. Um, well, at least start the L.A. chapter. Yeah. yeah. Addiction, <laughs> go to addiction, battlefieldaddiction.com. Can people be of service there or be a, get them? Um, well, right now we have a venue wherever you, you tell them, man. Just tell them about the Solution Groups Thursday night. and, and Every Thursday night. And oh, Dwayne's. we have a Zoom. We can Zoom in on our meetings. So we have, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we have weekly Solution Groups every Thursday, 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock in Seattle. They have to have it two times a night. Mm-hmm. Just That's what I noticed. Because yeah, yes. there's so many families. there's so many people. Mm-hmm. And so we also Zoom. We use the app Zoom. It's like Skype. Um, and so we have a lot of people. Gosh, we have about uh, 35, 40 people a week that Zoom in. And they're from out of state. And they Zoom in and listen in. Um, the best way we can help a family is through the private consultation that I was telling you about earlier. And that's where we can identify the holes in the boat and help them with the next right move. What's In what order do we need to cut off the resources? Um, to push that addict into the corner so they're left with no other option but to choose recovery. And then we walk them. So Art sets them with a plan. Art just has this gift. He's got this ability to be able to put himself in the addict's shoes without ever meeting the addict and pinpoint exactly what needs to be done. And then I'm the follow-up, and I and I walk families through. They're calling me, and I'm helping them through the whole process. Sure in the meantime, it. yep. In the meantime, they're coming to our weekly solution groups and plugging in uh, to get that support. They're coming to our monthly workshops to get that support. Um, you know what I just thought? You know what you could do is if you had an affordable sober living for five or six or seven hundred bucks a month, which is what I think you have, right? Yeah. Yes. Just have the parents pay for a year and and he needs to be here or she needs to yes. be here a year. That's it. Yes. Well, we tell and them that. that. We, tell huh? them, we tell them that they're probably, we, you know, every dad wants to come in with the hopes that it's going to be about two months. My yeah. kid's going to have the new job. And, you know, and, and I want to, yeah, about. they all, the, that's their dads. Either yeah. we get two types of dads. We get the one that just wants his kid to get his shit together. And that comes with a job in a car and yeah. he needs to hurry up. And then we get the dad that's kind of just broke down and emotional as right. as as a mother and he that's the one right. i'm talking yeah. about that's the la dad yeah industry dad <laughs> and and we kind of one dad we the, the broke down one we push back and go go do your thing we got this and then kind of and then the the checked out dad we bring him 
mm-hmm. and we bring them involved. And they all come into the group room, the solution room, and their arms are crossed, and they don't want to be there. But by the end, they're 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 involved. Sure. And, and so the solution group started all. It's the kickoff. A family walks in, and it starts their journey. And after the solution group, the, the Angie gets with them. And, and by the way, this is done for a, a small donation to Battlefield of one hundred and fifty dollars. And and are you the consultation, the consultation, okay. and and Angie does literally like twenty five hours of work with each family minimum to get them wherever we get them. And the um, you made a lot of of the using of whether it's tobacco or alcohol, or whatever, by everyone in the family. Th- that's what's called affect regulation. That that's you know that we have dist- food. Yeah, that, that currently we have a very strange phenomenon in this country, which is people don't have the proper early attachments, uh, so they don't come with a regulated affect system. So they have to reach outside of their body to regulate mm-hmm. the internal world. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. That's not how it's been through the last thousand years. I mean, maybe in you know Highlands of Scotland when they were being genocidally assaulted, yeah. maybe it was, but but that's it's a that's a sort of a trend that's been coming for the last 20 years and, and why is that because i think that we're more aware why. no but why is why <laughs> is the attachment not happening because we're more aware of child rearing and child mm-hmm. development than ever before well, i don't want to blame working moms uh, that's what amy said uh, it, it's really that we don't have good models of attachment they, they've been devolving families were very much sort of there aren't dads around in a lot of situations. Uh, so moms are harried and out of control and trying to sur- survive, and so they can't focus and provide the attachment the way they, they need to. And we went through a you know a couple decades where families were just, you know, one of the options that humans had evolved, and, you know, there are probably other ways of doing this, and so they no value put in child-rearing, the real child-rearing part, the anxiety and getting them into the workplace and maybe making them be a perfect extension of yourself. Well, that, okay, everyone signed up for but the actual meeting of the child's needs, which is just being there, mm. and no one had time for that. <laughs> and s- sitting there, you always do the thing. Sitting there, mm, you're frustrated. That's I can it. see that you're That's frustrated. It. Just be there. Just Our, being, the new version is my child is frustrated I need to distract you take it away that's again because we're unregulated we can't tolerate the child's frustration yeah. it makes us feel bad so it's got to stop in the child as opposed to just being present and letting the child and by the way offering the child some soothing affects alongside of or just at least present being strategies present and, and a, well that's right just, just being attuned just letting yeah. your body be an antenna that attunes to them and that they will that that's a model for affect regulation. Yeah. That's okay. how we build that as an in emphasy, and it's we reattune. That's what we reaccess. That's what a sponsor is. Mm-hmm. Just somebody sitting there saying, "Me too." Yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, but they need more now because they can't have to build a function in the world. <laughs> that's the part that Bob's getting frustrated with. No, I'm not frustrated. I just I think they got a bum rap. Yeah, I, think they I got agree a with bum you. Deal. And there's another piece too. No one ever talks about. They have too many options. Right when you ask them what do they want to do, they're like, "It's too much." <laughs> Look, I'm gonna go on the web. Let me see. Like, oh. mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's all this literature that shows that if humans have more than about six to nine options, they become paralytic. They can't. They can't make a choice. And think about trying to find a career path today, Bob. I mean, what are you gonna do? It's I like, was a musician and led to being a drug counselor. I didn't have much choice. Well, you weren't making it. You you were choosing as you went. Right. It just. I was telling Johnny today. I just, I don't know how this happened. Do, does you, do you can you relate to what I'm talking about, Johnny? That's a little, too many choices. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, as a, as a high school, I mean, as a college student right now, like I, I know what you guys mean by feeling lost, you know, yeah. like you know. But luckily, I had the, the parents, like I had that dad, the, the 
You have to get your shit together, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Always like, can't, can't hear him, so we got to give him that. Yeah, yeah. Quick. Go ahead. Let's interview Johnny. He's yeah. a millennial right yeah. here. Yeah, go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, so, Tell him the story of what your parents said when you turned 18. Oh, yeah. So uh, when I, right, right before you turned 18, they were like, I'm going to cut you off. No no funds, no nothing. Were you using? Were you? No, no I wasn't no. using. It was, no, you know, I'm a traditional, traditional Mexican family. Like, yeah. you know, like, hey, like, you got, that's it. So, like, right away, I was like, oh, crap. Like, what do I do? I don't know. There's so many <laughs> things to do. Like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I feel lost. So like like how he was, I was kind of going finding my way. Like a lot of my friends, like you know, they're 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 about like you know third year, fourth year in college. They still are undecided in their majors. Yeah. You know, yeah. they don't have a, a direction or any way to go. And yeah, it's you know, I, I, I saw the movie The Founder the other day. We went to, well, oh, we went the, to premiere yeah, that, that. about Ray Kroc, yeah. and and all, they had just example after example of people just going, well, I'm just I'm you know I'm selling pianos and I'm selling this. I'm just getting by. I got 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 to get food on the table. I got to figure it out. And they they weren't making choices. They were just doing what they could do to get food on the table. Right? That's what I feel yeah. my life yeah. was like. Right. That's right. There was not they choices. Don't, they don't foods on the table for these guys. They don't have to worry about that. So you live for a dollar a day, no problem. You know, and uh, they got to figure out what they want to do with their life, which is great cool, cool. on one hand, but it, it becomes confusing and paralyzing on another. Well, that's the hardest question that we have to answer. What is my kid going to do next? They and they always want that answer. They want it, and, and I think it's for them. You know, of course, but not for the kid. I tell it. I tell it. The most valuable thing that we can teach, and what we work on the most with parents and with everybody, is sit still. Sit, Same, sit exactly still. What I just said, yes, right? just I want to teach a kid to sit still. Yeah. I don't want them to come. Treatment is about teaching a kid to sit still. Yeah. They say they got to go do this, 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 mm-hmm. and this, and they always tell me the ten things they need to go do, and then they leave, and I go, "What'd you do?" And they go, "I got high." Mm, of course, I know, yeah. I know. But the ones that we want, we want to teach them to sit still. Just do the dishes. Yeah. Just sweep. Yeah. Go to bed. Make your bed. That's treatment. Treatment for us, I mean, that's what we're working on with the aloe guys. Well, that's the, the treatment, yeah. Aloe's the traditional place, you know, back, a throwback kind of, right? The newest, the, about five years ago, I had a client in Promises Malibu. I drove all the way out there. I told the council, oh, I'll be out on Tuesday in the afternoon. <laughs> I drive out there, and the guy is not there. I go, where the, where the fuck is he? He's in it. He was like day 17. I go, well, where is he? And they go, oh, he had, he had a dentist appointment. <laughs> I said, a fucking dentist appointment? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> you know what that is. He manipulated. Of course. His, yeah, because you know but he's the system, a big RX sign But over the, the system dentist. used to be unmanipulatable. Huh. Yeah. And now it was yeah. like he needs to go. To the, oh, he has. He has going to the dentist. We're working on working on it with Joe at Allo. We're building a program to take the first question I asked. I've never been down to Malibu. I came down to fly down here to meet Jared and Evan because people they told me they were great guys and and they were doing the deal. And so I came down to talk to him. And I th- that was the first question I asked him is how are you guys addressing the entitlement issue. <laughs> and, 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 and well, that's sort of what you're talking about too, Bob. Yeah, yeah and and so that's what we're working on with our program at Allo. We're working on addressing the entitlement issue, and that's and and, and taking that away. You know, all the phones and the I I, I I still cannot figure out why a cell phone is necessary in any treatment center. I I really can't figure out why anybody would have one. And so we're taking that away and working on that program down there to take away that entitlement. That's good. Well. It's a crazy world. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's it is. But don't you love that they took action at all? Yes, this, I all love all of it. I'm fascinated by and it. Frustration. Now, listen, we like just the way they're coming up with solutions. Is what you're asking for is come up with new models and new no. ways of doing things. It's the same as those moms that did the movie down Orange County. Remember? Yeah, it was a long time it ago. It was so yeah. sad. Yeah. We had this one doctor down Orange County. I don't know if you guys heard about Orange County south of here. 
this woman killed like how many kids she went to prison eventually but like a whole neighborhood of kids like different mothers had their kids lost to this one doctor that was just selling oxycontin to however much selling oxycontin she was doing consults and pain management and who am i to say what the pain is and just prescribing stuff and got and so like some ridiculous number like 418 kids died of drugs that were prescribed by her and so they made a movie about it which drew the da's attention which got her prosecuted how crazy is that mom standing up still out there i'm telling you it's still a problem no it's out there but now it's not coming from big pharma it's coming from china it's not coming it's coming from my peers they are prescribing it. It's not about big pharma. It's about doctors with, who believe patients, problem number one. And then number two, think opiates are a good solution for ongoing pain. And three... Are you in pain, Thank you. Hang on, hang on. And three, don't know how to do a his, an addiction history. They have no idea. And, you know, we, thank God, taught those students. We had medical students for how many years? Like seven or eight years? Yeah. We got a few of them. And those were good. We got those that group at least sort of understanding what you this is. You know who gets it nowadays? Emergency room yes, they doctors because do. yes, they, they do. see it every yes, night. So the, but they tend, to divert, they tend to dodge it because it's too hard. No, but my thing is now the genie is out of the bottle in America. Every American kid has tasted opiates. I'm convinced of it. Every American kid has <laughs> yeah. tasted opiates. The genie is out of the bottle. Now it's going to come in illicit ways so that – the whole thing's a bad drug problem. It's not. It didn't come from doctors and big pharma. It's bad people and bad drug deals on no, the streets. No, no, Mr. Sessions. The only bad drug is pot. <laughs> only bad or bad people do pot. That's what that he oh, said. Bad people. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. <laughs> All right, listen. I, it's a battlefield addiction. That's where I want everybody to go. Battlefield addiction. You guys are going to get inundated, and you can barely do what you're doing. How uh, about you? Do you re- sleep at remind night? Remind people. <laughs> remind people. No. I know. I'm interested in the Zoom thing. You're going to get a lot of that. I, I may Zoom it myself just to yeah, see what's going on. Yeah, let's Zoom it. Let's Zoom it. Because that, that's that to me, that's a next order solution, right? If if we can get people access and yep, you know more involved, that's a good start. That that's that's right. Uh, and again, thank you, Angie and Art and Amy. We appreciate you guys being here. Also, our friends at Bergamet and at Bergamet Sport and uh, our the friends National at National Assessment, Assessment Foundation. Foundation. Reminder, sign up for our email list, doctor.com slash contact. And you go there. Don't forget to check out that Amazon banner for all your shopping needs. We can thank you for your support and hope to be hearing your comments uh, on iTunes and check out your five-star ratings there. Subscribe there at iTunes. also want to thank, uh, let's see, the very products that uh, Bergamot has to offer, and I, I guess I, I'll... Which one should I get on? Could, do you have them here today? Can uh, I start? The, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> Look at Drew No, I'm, well, I'm, think, I'm thinking He's about assessing. your liver. I'm thinking about... <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think the... I you need have, the testosterone. No. Nah, <laughs> your hepatologist needs to... Okay. We need to double check with him, but I okay. just think the Mega Pro would probably be the one for you. Okay. Uh, so go to the website, check out our new, their new products, uh, and also there's a buy one, get one free with a... Purple pouch. How about that, Susan? You, Purple pouch. Oh, that's interesting. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you guys coming all the way out for this. We appreciate it very, very much. What did we learn today? Dr. Drew doesn't like fentanyl. The effects of fentanyl. I hate fentanyl. <laughs> I, I hate opiates generally. And I, I'm, I'm je- jealous of you all that seem to enjoy it so it's much. Seven, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's all, all the opiates tend to affect me badly, but fentanyl just really destroys me. I mean, like destroys me for days and days. So, oh uh, Johnny, thank you for being part of this little podcast. Yeah, Appreciate you, you all. And uh, we'll see you next time. Cool, cool.